Welcome to the podcast, And the Church Said. My name is Dr. Monique Smith-Gadson, a Christian licensed professional counselor specializing in marriage and family therapy. I'm your host for this weekly podcast where we discuss church and culture from a Christian counseling perspective. All of our insights are rooted biblically to foster emotional, mental, and spiritual health for individuals and for churches. We are here to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Quite simply, we help the church help the people. Although I am a licensed clinician, this podcast is not intended to serve as therapy. We strongly encourage you to seek out your own personal relationship with a professional therapist. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. Hello, everyone. So glad to have you join us for the conversation on today. All right, everyone. So today we have a very special guest with us um, today for our conversation. We have the Reverend Christy Adams with us on today. Reverend Adams, thank you for being a part of our conversation on today and accepting the invitation to be a part on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yes, yes, yes. I, I've heard you a couple of times previous to my invitation, and I just kept thinking, like, wow, um, so grateful for your work as a mom of two daughters. Um, um, I'm just, I'm grateful for how you highlight the the lives of, of black and brown girls. So um, that's when I just really kind of started, like, tuning in to you and honing in and listening to the messages that come from you. And I'm just so appreciative of your work. So I'm really excited about what our conversation will, will um, produce today. Thank you. I'm getting distracted because I'm reading behind you. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm distracted. I'm the purge. Yeah. So I'm I'm the purge. I feel like so fascinated. I'm like, I see color compromise. Yeah, exactly. I um I was um talking with a psychiatrist colleague, and he was like, "Monique, there's there's just nothing to do for that. You know that, right?" And I was like, I, "Yeah, I need to do something about it, but I can't." Like, don't touch my it's great. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, if you will please introduce yourself to our listeners, let them know who you are and all of the marvelous things that you are doing. Um, so my name is Christy Adams. I am, um, my job, my, there's my job and then there's my career. Um, and my job right now, um, sort of merges a bit into my career. I'm a chaplain at a boarding school. Um, and, uh, but I also teach, uh, three sections of a class called religion and film and a class called religious radicals. Um, so I, I love my teaching job. I hate to slight it by saying, oh, I'm chaplain and then I'm also a teacher, but I absolutely love teaching. Um, it's one of my favorite, favorite parts of my work day. Um, and uh, right now I'm interim director of diversity until we get our full-time director in. Um, so we're going to start a search for that. I always put emphasis on interim. And uh and I'm a dorm parent, right? Um, I, don't, I don't normally say that in any of my introductions, but I'm saying it this year because we're in a pandemic and when we start school again, I'll really have to be a dorm parent because um, our students will not be allowed to see their families for a long time. So I'll, that'll have to be a significant part of my job um, moving forward where in the past they see them every weekend or they can go and come as they please. Um, they won't see them for a few months at least. So, so that's what I do at um, the Hill School where I work in Pennsylvania. And uh, I uh, graduated from Temple University with, with my undergraduate degree. And I went to Princeton Seminary for my master's degree um, and got ordained uh, with American Baptist churches um, back in 2011 and uh, worked as, as a youth pastor at my church right after I graduated from seminary, got ordained, and then a week later moved to California and um, was a campus pastor at Azusa Pacific University. And I was there for four years, and I also um, moved after that and was a, a chaplain at Georgetown University and sort of, that's sort of how I got to the Hill. Um, what else? I am the author of Parable of the Brown Girl, which is a book that uh, 
It's about the lives of young black girls and their experiences and the wisdom that we learn from just from them, from their lives and from their, from their words and what, whatever conclusions and um, whatever, I, I keep using the word wisdom, but whatever wisdom that they draw from their own lives, I'm able, I have been able to get uh, closer to God through them and their experiences. So I wrote about that in that book and that came out February 4th, 2020. So that sums it up. <laughs> you said that sums it up. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> that is awesome. Very extensive and very um, diverse kind of background that you have going there. I was just thinking about the fact that you've been zipping across the country too. I, so. I know, I know. I, there's no better place to be quarantined than California. I'm not there now, but I keep thinking if I had to be, <laughs> it would be Southern California. <laughs> I hear you. Here it comes. That is awesome. That is awesome. Well, to get us to kind of move into this discussion here, um, the the book that you have written, and as I listened to you, as you even talked about how you had this opportunity to draw closer to God, just even listening to the wisdom that um, you've heard through through their lived experiences, and that is one of the things that I highlight. Um, that's um, the area of research that is of of, of, of um, interest to me is lived experiences. When I wrote, wrote my dissertation, it was based on lived experiences of premarital couples. So I get, like you're saying, when you're able to kind of get this rich um, experience from how they have lived and what they have encountered and whom they have encountered over time is just so fascinating to me. It's always just been so very fascinating. So I would like for you to just go ahead and kind of share with us a little bit about what are, um, if you can give us like even some specifics maybe of how, how their lives, their stories have drawn you closer to God and even just what is the wisdom um, that you have heard from them that you would like to share with us? Yeah, I can use stories. Uh, I wish I could think of stories even outside of the ones in the books um, mm -hmm. in our short time, but uh, there was there was one um, season of my life where I was in between uh, working at Georgetown and here at the Hill where I was back um, in New Jersey. That's where I'm from. And I was working at my church. I was working as a program administrator for the Center for Black Church Studies at um, Princeton. And so I was like juggling these jobs and then also um, working at a, a, a counseling center called the Christian Wellness Center. Um, as a pastoral counselor there. <laughs> and um, so there were teenagers that parents would bring, uh, mainly their girls would bring, and they would just assign them to me. Um, and I would just, you know, work with them and um, just sort of um, be, be present and engage as much as possible. You know, a lot of them didn't want to be there. Um, but then we just built these wonderful, we built these great relationships because it was about two years that I was there in between. And um, so I was there two or three days out of the week and, you know, in this sort of small corner room and um, it would just be me and, the, and, and a girl, you know, me and the girls. And they were, would range from nine to, honestly, to 25, but the teenagers would be about nine to 18 and um, and we would just talk about their life and talk talk through life in general, and to to hear them um, not have an audience, not have any reason to perform. Um, you know, it was just the two of us, and to hear them navigate their own issues as I just sat there and tried to help them work through it um, would really help me. I didn't, you know, it would really, really help me. I, I remember leaving, you know, I would have counseled maybe three or four, four, four clients and then leave to drive, drive home and be in the car and feel like full or feel like I got something out of those conversations. Mm -hmm. um, like, I, like I just left church or something, you know? <laughs> I mean, like I felt it was, it was different. I had the same feeling that I had as though I just left like a Bible study or something like that, but it wasn't that I hadn't left that, but I felt just as full. Um, and a lot of it is because, 
um, you know, the girls were helping me as they navigated through their own situations. They would share, um, you know, their, their struggles, their frustrations, their fears in their own ways. Um, and then that I realized would, you know, mirror a lot of what I either went through when I was a kid or even some things that I continue to go through as an adult that um, I didn't realize I didn't reconcile as a kid. And so that really resulted in Parable of the Brown Girl because Parable of the Brown Girl is really just me working through <laughs> my own stuff from hearing them work through their stuff. Mm-hmm. So in chapter one, where I talk about the young nine-year-old girl who asked me, in the, and this was a girl that I was working with at the counseling center, and, and asked me, why did God make me a warrior when I'm really just weak, you know? Uh, and, you know, to wrestle with that question personally um, from a nine-year-old was like huge for me because I was like, I, you know, I don't know why God made you a warrior when you're really just weak. I have to ask myself, why God made me a warrior when I'm really just weak. Why did God make me a warrior? You know, those, those would be the things that happen in those types of conversations. Right. And then I'd go home and I'd think on it and, you know, it, it, I'd wrestle with it and then I'd come back. I feel like I didn't have an answer for her. And, you know, and then say, you know, God, God made us warriors and God made us strong and weak, that we're both that God uh, allows us to, to be both and to make room for us in both and shows up for us in both. And um, to, to try to translate that for a nine-year-old, but then also for myself, you know, th- those types of moments would happen a lot with these girls, you know, where um, they weren't always asking profound existential questions like that, right? <laughs> but, you know, but even in their simplicity, um, I, I, I would, I would be challenged. There was this one girl who <clears throat> I asked her to name three things that she really loves about herself or yeah, or three things about herself. That's like the stands out or whatever. Anyway, she couldn't do it. She probably got through one, you know? And, um, so we sat there, we went through it. And then I was like, why, why is it so difficult to say like, to identify good things about yourself, you know? And we just worked that out. That was a question I asked myself as I was asking her that same question. The girl was 11. Um, And we went through these questions on these like cards about the things that we, things that were about us personally. Like what kind of ice cream do you like? What kind of, you know, friends do you, do you gravitate toward? Things that we can, we can talk about everybody else. And, um, you know, from relationship, we talk about all the men, you know, the boys, we can, we can talk about everything, but when it comes to ourselves and really knowing ourselves and caring for ourselves, um, we, we hesitate. And it's not just because she was 11. It's because it's, it's, that's where we are as black women, you know, we're always just taking care of everybody. So that's what I mean by that it would start with something like a little conversation and then I would just be reflecting with them. We'd be talking through it. And uh, I learned so, so much. I still do learn a lot from them. But those, those one-on-one times that I had with those girls were probably some of the most profound um, in my career. Yeah. Wow, that's just so powerful. Um, ugh, when I hear you say that, it reminds me of, I do like um, what I refer to as social emotional learning support groups. Mm-hmm. And it, it was really, it started basically from, of course, years of, of, of being a therapist and thinking about how these things grow up in us. And then when we get to certain places in lives, you know, in our lives, it might converge with something else that now has become an obstacle, you know, so if it's parenting or if it's, you know, in a marriage or in a career, um, you know, I'm lacking confidence and it's like, well, why are you lacking confidence? You know, and as you kind of began to kind of unpack that and unravel that, you know, it takes them back to a, um, a moment in childhood, mm. if you will, you know, um, I remember this and I, and I, and as you say about your own life, I mean, and I can clearly remember even, even though I got some decades kind of under my belt now, but I can remember some very poignant 
moments in my childhood, you know, that would just stick out like it would have been a yesterday kind Mm. of event. So I do believe that those um, events in our lives, you know, if not reconciled, as you say, or resolved, we grow up with that. So I'm really excited to hear about these one-on-one conversations that you're having, because I do believe that it may be that you have helped that little girl that is sitting before you and also that little girl that we will continue to carry with us as we grow up to be a healthy person, you know, and it's like, okay, all of these areas have kind of integrated for us as opposed to this piece of me, you know, is still hurting or lacking or whatever the case may be. That's real powerful. I also thought about when you mentioned the talking about, you know, God made us both strong and both weak and how you do hold space for them to be able to say, I am weak um, okay. or there are moments when we're not. And I think that is so great. I think also because, you know, we hear so much and we read so much about the burden of strong, you know, black women who try to carry it all and do it all and feeling like that's what is expected of us. So um, I'm so glad to even hear that you you speak to that already in little girls. And my hope my prayer is that these seeds that you are planting in them will just germinate and just, you know, God to just allow somebody to water those and they would just increase, you know, in healthy, healthy um, black women, emotionally and mentally, especially black women. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, you know, thing I, I, talk a lot about uh with our coworkers and faculty about you know um what what's it going to take you know kind of like what's it going to take for our black girls at least to be uh to to trust us you know that's not us but that's sort of the question that they have they are always on guard and I'm like cuz you're not a safe space it takes some time to become a safe space um and in order to to be that um they have to feel safe to be vulnerable, vulnerable around you. And unfortunately, black women and girls, there are like very, very little spaces for us in society um, where we can do that, where we can trust it. And then, you know, also unfortunately, when they do, some of those um, spaces violate that trust, um, you know, uh, and, and abuse that or neglect it in, in some way. So, um, so it, it takes a bit, like I say, you know, I do want them to be vulnerable, but then at the same time, I want to protect them. And I don't want them just, you know, putting it out to any old body, you know what I mean? Um, so that, that uh, it's a thin line, that message is, there's a thin line there. It's like the, the overall message is you want to, them to be, you know, you can be vulnerable with God, you know what I mean? Like, it's not the fallback, but you know, you, you can be, that is the ultimate um, you know, safe space for you, um, because there, there are really no guarantees on this, on this earth. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you're absolutely right. I I just, I know this, I was even speaking with, um, two of my, um, I call them my secret companions in life. Um, Mm -hmm. I was sharing that with them that how, even when you're just about trying to do what you know it is that God has, you know, called for you to do and you can engage in conversations with people, as you say, you've opened up and, you know, you think you kind of put yourself there and then you get like nothing back and you're kind of going, Uh you know, but it would have been after it would have been cultivated. It's not so much like you're saying that, you know, you just kind of like all of a sudden, like, I'm just going to put it all out there. You know, you kind Uh of hey, this person has expressed an interest, you know, and have engaged in conversation. And, um, you know, you talk and it's just like, okay. And they're like, sure. And, you know, you kind of start engaging in some conversation. And then when it's, you know, time to follow through, follow up or whatever. And it's like crickets, no answers, you know, and mm-hmm. you just kind of start scratching your head like, oh, did I say something wrong? You know, yeah. and um, so you're, you're absolutely right about there being no guarantees. But I do believe that that is where, this um, investment that you are pouring into them and helping them to pour into themselves will help to even buffer against that, you know, and to say in those times, even in those times, you can still be, you know, vulnerable with God as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's awesome. 
Well, if you will um, continue to share with us a little bit about the book. Um, I, I'm just so interested and so curious about what the work that you have done and, and the fact, like you say, that there are very few spaces, um, you know, for us. And I mean, you say, you know, black girls, black women, I, you know, <laughs> again, even in where I am in, in my season of life, I, I've, I've been looking, you know, like high and low and I'm just like, okay. <laughs> and it can be a very frustrating thing um, in, in some ways. And again, like I've already kind of spoken to and in places where you thought you had and then you didn't, you know, and that can make you a little bit leery, but share a little bit more about what you have found and what you have written about in your book as you have ministered to and listened to and learned from, um, these, these young women and, um, just kind of what your hopes are for women and black girls because um, this would have been the last day of the retreat that um, I planned for black, 50 black girls. Uh-huh. We were going to do three days, uh, July 13th through 15th, for it was called the Becoming Retreat, because mm-hmm. I've done um, two conferences, not last year, but the year before and the year before that. Uh, it was called the Becoming Conference, and it was a one-day conference for, for girls um, of color. And uh, last year it took off because I just started the hill and then a friend of mine had, had passed away. So it was too much. But um, this year was going to be our sort of comeback year and we were going to do the retreat. And uh, we decided on the retreat because um, at the conference, one of the things I noticed the first year, it was like I had all these speakers, speaker, speaker, workshop, workshop, speaker, speaker, everywhere, you know, um, the girls. And the, the best part to the girls was lunch. I noticed that. Um, when we broke for lunch, I think I broke for 45 minutes and I had vendors around the room, um, like hair and Barnes and Noble and different stuff. Um, and they just loved hanging out, being at the vendors, trying on clothes, you know, different stuff. And so I said, oh, you know, I overplanned. So then the mm-hmm. next year, um, we had it, first year we had it at Rutgers, second year we had it at Princeton at the seminary. I was working at the seminary. I was like, let's just do it here. Uh, and um, we had, had a lot of breaks. We, we had a, a few sessions in the morning, a long lunch break, a few sessions in the afternoon, then they went home. Mm-hmm. Um, but the girls, we had more, at the Rutgers, we had one big building. But at Princeton, there's a lot of greenery. We had the whole campus. Um, and so I would walk around at lunch. The girls were, you know, in a like, on the grass eating. We had like Zumba for them. Some were watching a movie. They were dancing. They just loved hanging out and dancing and being with one another. And they were just free. I have some video um, on my phone of just them just dancing and having a good time. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then the retreat idea came about because we were like, they they wanted it to be longer. And I said, these girls just want to hang out. They want to have a sleepover. And they just want to be with one another, you know, um, and they don't mind us talking to them every now and then, but they don't need all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but from that, I learned that when, when the safe space is provided, right, like, um, then they truly become, they do become vulnerable, they become themselves, they become free, they don't have to explain their hair, their skin complexion, you know, they're just with one another and they're just um, being young girls. They don't have to be, they're not grown, you know, Um, and that's the biggest thing I learned, even outside of the book. The Coming Conference came before Parable of the Brown Girl, and um, I, 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 a lot of, some of the girls that I experienced in in Becoming Conference are in Parable of the Brown Girl. but, um, you know, that, that freedom and that vulnerability, I think, is the ultimate goal that, that, that we should want Black girls to experience um, consistently in their lifetime at some point. And so if our programming, our whatever it is that we do for and on behalf of Black girls, that needs to be the goal. Of course, we want to educate. Um, but we don't really need to educate black girls in their own experiences. <laughs> That's why I always tell people, 
you know, they're like, I'm going to get this book for my 12 year old. I'm like, it's not really written for a 12 year old, but okay. Um, <laughs> my main target audience is not necessarily black girls, although black girls are reading or black women read and they feel affirmed if they feel affirmed in, okay, I'm not the only one. Okay. Somebody heard me. That's one thing. Um, but it's not teaching them <laughs> too much of anything because they, they are already experiencing this. It should be teaching people that a white woman or man, whoever about, you know, um, I did a, a, a book, uh, book talk the other day for a Presbyterian church on zoom. And there was like 35 people on, all of them are white you know, all of them, um, and mostly older. And they were saying like, you know, thanks so much for taking the time to have this, you know, with us. You know, I know we're, you know, not necessarily the audience. I'm like, no, you're the audience. I wrote this book for you. <laughs> this is, this was my dream when I wrote Parable of the Brown Girl, that I would be having a conversation with 35 white people, you know, um, about the experiences and paying attention to the lives of, of young black girls. Um, so, you know, you are the target and they were like, okay. Um, but like I said, that, that freedom and that vulnerability really needs to be the goal. And that's one of the things that I've learned in all the stories or any of the girls that, that I, that I do meet, um, even here, you know, at, on, on campus. And, um, a lot of times I'll have them come over, you know, they can come over, hang out, watch TV. And I just, I watch them just sort of sigh aside but they watch tv they take their shoes off they just want to not be on guard or on and they just want to relax and they do and i leave them alone and you know um so that's one of the biggest things i think i've learned whether it's from becoming or from parable of the brown girl um is that they just want to be free and they want to be vulnerable and, and and comfortable um and that there's that there's not a lot of spaces for that um, schools or, you know, we would learn that from uh, Monique Morris's work, you know, criminalization of black girls push out in, in schools and how schools and teachers aren't safe spaces and, um, and that's where they spend the majority of their time, you know, online isn't necessarily a safe space. They, we know that, you know, um, they turn to it, but it's not necessarily a safe space for them. Um, you know, now uh, programming is starting to catch up to where they're being, you know, we're seeing representation, but it's still not a safe space. You know, everywhere they go, there's an attack or some critique or something um, against them. So, so I'm sort of rambling and go, going around, but that, that is sort of the overall thing that I have learned with all of them. And then I've learned that um, if you just pay attention, there's just so much that there's just so much there. You just listen, you know? Um, and that's why I, I wrote the stories and we'll be writing. I'll talk, I can talk about my second book at some point. Um, mm -hmm. And just listening to the girls come to their own conclusions and um, talk through their stuff. The, the, the chapter on the angry brown girl you know, this girl I really love because um, I still know her to this day. And she just, she's had to work through it on her own, mm -hmm. you know? And she's had some, some mess, like, you know, with, with, her, with her, an alcoholic mother and um, sort of being shipped back and forth, you know? Um, and police coming, you know, and taking her away and taking the family, you know, all of that. And, um, you know, fighting in school and all of that, but just having to navigate the whole thing on her own, having to decide, you know what, I'm not going to fight anymore. Or, you know what, I think I need to get better grades. Not, she don't have all these people around her. You know, she's got some people encouraging her, but she don't have all the resources in the world that, that uh, a white girls or whoever would get, you know, therapists and all of that, um, and encouraging and coming together, you know, on her behalf, she's having to figure all this out on her own, you know? And so when she made the honor roll this year, this last year, she made the honor roll this past year. She decided to pull herself up by her bootstraps <laughs> and come, come up out of it. Um, so the resilience of these girls is amazing. Um, and that's one of the things that I am going to focus more on in the second book is just the resilience of the young, uh, these young girls, they just, they get knocked, they keep going in spite of all of the resistance around them. 
they still find a way to keep going. They find ways to find joy, you know, I mean, they're really amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That is powerful. And, and since you're, you're right there and you, you were talking about um, writing a little bit more about their resilience in about you uh, in the next book that you will be writing, will you go ahead and just kind of talk about that while you're right there? Yeah, um, about what it's about. <laughs> well, kind <laughs> of you want to give that part. No, away, that's but, fine. I don't care. Okay, yeah, just whatever. When you reference, like you know, you can you'll talk about it. I don't know if you've been in this conversation or not, but if if in this conversation, you know, then what? Um, yeah, like what will that focus be? Yeah, this one, this next one would be more on leadership. Um, actually, the the it's not that the parable of brown girl girls weren't leaders, but they just weren't explicit leaders in one particular. Um, there's a lot of, and I'm not gonna. This one is more about Gen Z girls um, and their leadership, but I'm gonna go back because um, black the way that black women and girls were not how say were not highlighted during the civil rights movement as many of them were out there, because I'm looking at uh, like Tamika Mallory, um, she's more my age, um, uh, and you know, just the, the, the black girls that I've been interviewing for the second book, you know, they're the leaders of this, this group and that group, and they, you know, mm-hmm. they're just constantly, they, yeah, they're amazing. I'm like, this couldn't have just, this can't be new, right? Yeah. So I started like, doing a little bit more research and you know, you know, we know of the, the standard um, ones that we heard about during the movement. But I first went, uh, I first stumbled a claw across, is it Claudette Col? Yeah, Claudette Colvin, who's the 15 year old black, she was 15, obviously, that was back in the 60s, a uh, uh, black girl who um, a few months before Rosa Parks was, um, uh, had her situation that was obviously strategic. Claudette Col- Colvin was one or whatever. Um, I've, I've always known that there was another uh, instance of that. Um, I knew that with Ida B. Wells with the train, you know. Um, but Claudette was just a few months prior and she was 15. And, um, and she said, when I read, that she decided not to get up because she was thinking about her ancestors and she was thinking about all the women that came before her. And was like, and, um, I'm not getting up. You know, she was doing it for them. And then they dragged her off and, you know, all this. And they were going to use, they wanted to use that case um, and put their, like the civil rights leaders, put all their like um, attention and energy toward it. But then there was this like, it was, it was told that she was cursing when she, you know, got dragged off the bus. And so, you know, that wasn't respectable. And um, they even said, you know, her look, she was a darker skinned sister. So they, they, they didn't want to use her for that. She was too young. She was all of this. And so as a result, they wound up going with the older 40-year-old Rosa Parks um, and being a little bit more strategic about it. She don't hear about Claudette Colvin. Um, or there was 15 girls that were jailed. Uh, forgot the names of those, those 15 black girls that were jailed. And they have a whole book about these girls. Um, during during the movement like at at one time um and I forgot what they call them but even my publisher just sent their story over to me and I had already been reading up on them I'm gonna try to get the book um there's just so many whether it was Little Rock Nine or you know any the 15 year old woman that was like I forgot she was she was uh, integrating part integrating one school or whatever and I read um James Baldwin had seen her picture um, of like these these white people like spitting on her and all that other stuff and James Baldwin was like he felt like he failed his sisters at that moment like they just left her sort of when she's 15. All this to say there this is what black women and girls have been doing leading the way <laughs> carrying the family carrying the movement carrying the church I mean, this is like a constant thing <laughs> we just don't get written about or mm-hmm. talked about mm-hmm. um so the next one is going to focus on the leadership of um, young, uh, young black girls now. Um, and uh, not just, you know, Black Lives Matter. There's one young girl I interviewed who um, uh, was, was diagnosed at like seven with stage four Hodgkin's lymphoma. And um, she's cancer free now. She's 15. But literally like a year after that, she started a, like a, a organization 
called the We Conserve Movement, you know? Um, and they just like, that's what I mean by resilience. You have stage four cancer, you're a child. <laughs> and you're like, mom, I'm gonna start this organization to help, you know, sick, sick, sick kids, homeless kids and foster kids was like, is her focus because she was getting all this, um, let's make a wish stuff toys and stuff like that. And she was like, I don't need this. Then she starts donating it and turning up just like, wow. So that's what my next focus is going to be on. Just like um, how, how much we can learn, how amazing these, these girls are. They take their leadership to like the, the next level and they don't really get talked about a lot. Yeah. Oh my God. How exciting is that? I cannot wait for that. <laughs> that is so good. And I, and I, and I love that. I love how you, you do you, it's almost like, as you say, I mean, we know it's there and probably others know it's there, but it's just like, ah, okay. You know, right. opposed to being kind of held up and like, see, <laughs> you know, see right. it. And it's just, I don't know. It's, it's so crazy. I'm sitting here thinking, it's so funny, I guess now I'm having the same experience that you have, uh, or you had when you were um, talking with your, your, your girls 101 and me listening to you, and I'm just kind of having all these flashes, you know, in my mind of encounters, you know, just, just yeah. over time, but, um, and even, you know, <laughs> in, in more recent years, just even the, the area of work that I do as a, as a therapist, and you know, and I think I, I shared with you when I first had reached out to you, you know, just knowing that guy called me to do this work for the church. Um, and it's specifically for African-American um, church mm. in our community because it just has not been something that has been, um, you know, widely available, um, mm. you know, um, especially not in the church, you know, and that in and of itself was a fight there for a while, you know, it turned out to me specifically, but just in general, where yeah. um, psychology and theology kind of was, seemed like it just had to live in opposition with each other. And I'm just yeah. kind of like, I think it has to. I mean, I know yeah. that there is a place where these things can overlap and overlap well, but right. um, nonetheless, you know, just even um, talking about it over the years and, and you know, um, in, the, in the church and black church, especially, you know, um, especially certain denominations that it being, you know, more male dominated and male oriented, you know, and even just having to try to negotiate those conversations and talk about like, you know, this is what I do. And, <laughs> and even um, having to um, wrestle with, you know, this umbrella trying to be put over me, like, well, let's put you here and like, let's let you be housed here. And I'm like, but that <laughs> work because the work I do is clinical and therefore we need clinical you know <laughs> right even in church settings so um yeah so it, it was just always interesting that this wrestling you know kind of was taking place that you know for whatever reason you know this black woman who comes with all of the receipts and or experiences you know it's it's like uh but still you know but right. it, but Deal. Yeah. And and um, so yeah, just all that just kind of came rushing to me as you you were talking. Like I was just kind of having this like ooh, life flashing in front of me, kind <laughs> of a, a experience. But um, where do you think? Um, just to kind of even, I guess, kind of link some of that now that I, I rambled about that, but just, you know, in terms of even the black church, and I know, Lord knows, I know just in, in my time, I can see where strides have been made um, in terms of even just looking at black women in ministry, you know, calls to, um, to ministry. I, I can remember those conversations. I'm like, I didn't hear you growing up about why, you know, it's not. And you just kind of like, <laughs> but um, even though there are strides that have been made in the church, where do you think that, what do you think that looks like as of right now? I mean, I know there's going to always be work to do there. Always there's room for improvement, but how do you feel that the church is doing when it comes to our, um, you know, our black girls? Mm, I thought you were going to say black women. Cause I was like, Oh, and that too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, the church with the black girls. the church i know the church addresses black youth yeah well in general mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i think that they have tried to do things for black boys mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i don't know if there's two if there's an, if there ever is a black girls thing it is generic 
um, you know, separate the boys and the girls and the girls, you go here and the boys go there and girls are going to talk about girl stuff, that type of thing. It's, yeah. it's not uh, it's, it's generic. Um, it's probably generic for the boys too, though. So I don't know. I think, uh, but I, I won't be critical of the church in that regard because I think they just focus on black youth in general and, um, raising up black youth. And so everybody gets lumped in and mm-hmm. spirit, spiritually educating black youth, mm-hmm. which is difficult in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, uh, I don't know. I don't know if there's been like so much attention on black girls, but I don't really know. I don't want to say, I don't know if they're needed to be, but um, they probably could do a little bit better, but the church has, has its hands full um, when it, when it comes to all these, you know, these other areas. Uh, now black women, (laughs) uh, you know, there's that, you know, women are making up, uh, what, 80% of the pews or whatever it might be. Um, that has always been the case. Uh, yet the authoritative structure has always looked like men. Um, I think it's getting better, though. I will say that. I see a lot of women pastors, uh, whether it's associates or senior pastors or what, whatever that might be. I think they'll always be dealing with... Um, you know, like when we, we had our search for our, uh, our church just had their, just, they didn't conclude their search because pandemic sort of stopped it, but they narrowed it down to one person. I was on the committee, not on the committee anymore, but the, but the, but was a part of that one person being chosen and well, they'll have to go through that process. Uh, but you know, we, we really wanted women to be interviewing women too, and just wrestling with, oh man, like we're looking for a really strong woman. You know, the guy didn't, we don't have to say really strong man, but the woman had to be really strong. Wow. Um, you know, she really, really needed to stand out and be dynamic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was a part of that. I can't say that I wasn't a part of that, um, mm-hmm. you know, because of the congregation that we knew that, you know, because the congregation in a Baptist church has to vote in the person. And they have to be. So we can recommend as the committee, but they have to vote them in. Right. So knowing that we have a congregation that was used to this strong sort of civil rights leader for the past 35 years, you know, um, I just wasn't so sure, that, you know, like if we were going to present a woman, she needed to be all of that, um, whatever, the, whatever all of that means. Yeah. And so I was a part of that. I knew that that was going to be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, you know, the, 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 the person is uh, wound up, you know, being a man. Um, and also men are more afforded those opportunities, right? So women are just now starting to, sorry, my window's open and there's construction. <laughs> um, women are just now starting to uh, take those senior pastor roles and have that experience. I mean, unless it's like Cynthia Hale or you know, someone that's been, been in it for, for a while, there's, there's, you, you know who they are, who the ones are. Whereas with the men, there's just like plethora to choose from. So unless those women applied, which now they're older and they're having to transition their, their own, you know, if we're looking for someone a little bit younger, they don't necessarily have that type of experience be, that the men had because they um, weren't afforded those opportunities. So it's not like one person's fault, you know. Um, so I think the church is doing a bit, the black church is doing a bit better. Um, the church overall, no. I just saw this picture the other day of these like, this Instagram of these like cool, cool pastors. <laughs> I'm going to call them. Um, you know, they're cool, popular pastors and they're all like, you know, with their tattoos and their ripped jeans or whatever it is. Um, and they're like leaning against this wall, you know, and there's like five or six of them, two of them were black and the rest of them were the white guys. And it's just like, Hey, we're cool. And it was like, okay, rolled eyes. Like number one, there were no women there, you know, mm-hmm. uh, cause women can't be cool pastors. That's, you know what I mean? That's the other thing. Um, and if there are women out there that are highlighted, they're usually really great guest speakers and they're definitely somebody's wife, um, of a pastor. 
<laughs> you know, um, so, you know, that we, we perpetuate though. Women are responsible for, for perpetuating a lot of the patriarchy too. So it's not all men's fault. And that's all I'll say to that. <laughs> yeah, that's just, I, I'm just so tickled. Because <laughs> that's probably a totally different conversation that mm -hmm. I'm willing to jump into, but just like, no, because it's a totally different conversation. So um, yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you. Um, well, yeah, thank you for sharing those those insights. Um, and I guess as we do, you know, as we are kind of preparing to round out the discussion, um, as I kind of noted a little bit earlier, you know, as you did talk about the the lives of the, the Black girls and, oh, my God, um, it was freeing even hearing you describe the uh, freedom that they had to just be. And I so often try to bring people to that point when you know they may be in the counseling office is not so much about what you're doing like you're saying when you're not under this microscope of you know performing um and doing but if you actually had this opportunity to be what would that look like you know what would that involve um how does it bring rest to your body how does it bring rest to your mind you know even how does it even um facilitate um, positive emotional, you know, process. So I guess when I think about those things and, um, you know, and even as we, we talked about, you know, church as, as we did and I, and I hear you, you know, um, I, I've said here lately and often I've actually thought about that. I think that, you know, um, I look, would like to see discipleship include that emotional and mental development, you know, just of, of taking that into consideration, that intentionality um, with it, as you're saying, because um, I, I, it's hard anyway, like you talk about that, that spiritual teaching, I mean, all of it just really is, mm. you know, but even um, I, I do believe that with some intentionality um, and developmental, you know, appropriateness, um, you know, it, it is what could be done. And, and I would, like to see it be being done again, just kind of with more um, more intentionality. But if you had to kind of have a, a walk away point, you know, to the conversation in terms of the emotional and mental well being of of the black girls, black women, um, and as it relates to say what the church could potentially do to foster some of that, what what would you say kind of what would be your parting, you know, kind of word of advice? Uh, churches should either have a therapist on site, <laughs> a therapist. I'm all for pastoral pastors counseling. I'm, I am, but I just don't think that that, I just don't think that needs to be the only offering. Uh, I, I'd like to see more partnerships with counseling centers and more referrals and, um, encouragement in that area of mental health encouragement. We talk about it here and there, and we might do mental health month and mental health week, but I think it needs to be this just sort of ongoing thing, mm -hmm. um, resources, particularly for young people, um, youth ministries, like having a resource, you know, um, pamphlet or something guide for all the parents of behavioral health care facilities and things like that, because some of them is counseling and some of them just need to know, oh, where can I have a great I mean, great. Where where can they, where is there a good outpatient behavioral facility or something like that? Which a lot of them, yeah. you know, um, a lot of these kids deal with suicidal ideation and things that really just, especially now, um, there's more language to it. it. It may have been that way when I was growing up, but there just was no language for it. Um, but now that there is, um, it it just there needs to be more partnership with the the mental health community in general um so that it's like a part of the lifestyle you know there's no reason why like you get to college and you start hearing about um oh i get the counseling centers and things like that it, this should be a part of their their everyday uh, particularly in churches where you know i think i need to see i, I want to talk to my youth pastor 
okay, and then also you see a therapist, right? I, I'm, I'm doing both. I have a great mentoring relationship with my youth pastor, but also there's these resources for, for me to go see this, you know, yeah. person consistently or whatever. I don't know if I see enough of that. I don't know if I see, yeah, I definitely don't, don't, don't think I see enough of that, like normalcy. Um, and then um, just the, the language around it, like Instagram pages for youth ministries, and I'm talking about youth specifically, um, you know, you know, they have like mental health facts on pages and things like that. You know, I'd love to see some more of that, some more conversations being had in the church with young people about that. Um, a lot of these kids are struggling silently. The amount of kids, I mean, um, the, the girls, uh, one of the girls that I interviewed for Parable in chapter two was dealing with um, an eating disorder and cutting. And I just interviewed a girl for the next book and the leadership, and she literally the same story. <laughs> it's not funny, but I was just like, this is the same story, you know? Mm -hmm. um, this is like common. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. That and then the suicide attempts, whether they threaten or whether they took pills or tried to hang herself or whatever it might be, that's, that's common too. So, um, you know, meaning I've not just heard one story. It's been multiple stories of girls and then their mom caught them and whatever it might be um, just in time. And um, so I think the church in particular He's a really jump on that in youth ministries and facilitating the conversations and having, I mean, when we get back out of the pandemic, even, even in the pandemic, you can do it, but having someone come talk, you know, talk to, talk to them about it. You know, like we, our church um, has vacation Bible school this week, a whole vacation Bible school could be dedicated to, to that, you know, mm -hmm. those types of things, make integrating it and normalizing it more and not making it this one and one off thing that we do here and there. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, and you know, I definitely mm -hmm. co sign everything that you just said. So, big fat dinner with amen. So, yeah, um, and with that, um, the other thing too, I, I think I would ask you to just kind of leave with us, um, as it relates to the black girl and or the black woman specifically, then how, what do you, what would you say, okay, church, here you are. These are some things that you can do um, specifically, you know, with these populations, um, kind of based on some of the things that you have researched and the work that you've done over the years. Yeah. With Black girls, um, definitely the mental health piece. Mm -hmm. And specific to Black girls, not Black youth, so the Black mm -hmm. girls. Mm -hmm. um, definitely just being intentional about creating more spaces that just center Black girls. And just them mm -hmm. um, and it doesn't even have to be that elaborate like I said a sleepover or whatever it might be just having more things so that because I felt growing up that my church was a safe space for me even though it wasn't like black girl specific but it was like all about black youth you mm -hmm. know and so wh where my school was not I couldn't wait to get to church you know, I couldn't wait to get to youth ministry, choir rehearsal, whatever it might be, because I just felt myself. I don't know if kids feel that anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and so because of that, um, I think for black girls, there needs to be more intention. intention. They'll come if they feel like they're centered. Mm -hmm. If it's about them, it's celebrating them, it's honoring them, affirming them, it's for mm -hmm. them, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, for black women, I think it's about recognizing the layers to black women. I think the church is like, oh, black women are wives or they're, or they're single and kids. You know what I mean? Like they relegate us to our relationship status. Um, and there's just so many layers to, to black women. They just see one thing, mother, you know, whatever it might be, that's what they see. Um, but there's just so many layers to uh, there's layers relationally, you know, there's, we always talk about that. There's single moms, there's, you know, adult, uh, there's younger single women, adult single women. There's, there's a lot. I know I have a lot of friends who are widows, not a lot, but more than I should, 
<laughs> you know, whose husbands died. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, so that these are all relational, relational things, but then there's career, lifestyle, just there's so many layers to black women that recognizing all of those layers and addressing them, whether it's from the pulpit or in your programming or in your small groups or whatever it might be. Um, but just get to know black women and who we are, what we're thinking about. Some, some black women, you know, want to get together and have these types of conversations. You know what I mean? Want to have intellectual conversation. Some want to talk about the kids. Some want to talk about bell hooks. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) I don't know. There's just, there's so many layers to our interests and our being and who we are that I don't think that that's acknowledged at Mm -hmm. all, ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and our, our calling, we want to know what we're called to do. You know, my mom is in retirement now. She's just starting. And it's like, okay, it would be so great if the church addressed that and didn't just been like seniors. You know what I mean? Like, no, there are people who are just now retiring and they want, they're starting this um, other leg of their life. And, but they still feel like they have purpose. And so now who's going to help her navigate trying to get through trying to get to what she's called to do post mm-hmm. being in education she still wants mm-hmm. to be an edge still wants to do education all of that so she's been talking to my brother and he's he's a, like a life coach or whatever and so like he's been helping coach her through some stuff well it shouldn't just be that the church should really be dealing with women that are retired mm-hmm. men too but you know what i mean like who who are just getting into retirement and what does that mean you're calling there's just so much to who we are that they only really address two or three sides and that's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that, that's real good right there. I remember telling um, <laughs> a girlfriend of mine, she was inviting me to a, a woman's, women's brunch or something or fashion show or something. And I went, no, <laughs> I'm not going. And she was right. like, why? You know, it'd be fun. And, and I told her, I said, I've done the women's brunch fashion <laughs> Enough. Okay. It's like, I get it. But as right. you say, that was what I always said. I'm like, I think it's a little bit more to be a woman than just wanting to see us. Right. You know, I, football game, I'm there. But Exactly. Yeah. yeah just Anyway, yeah, but I, I hear you. So, um, and, and I think that that's very important because I know for me, I know I'll just say this as I uh, close this out. Um, I wrestled with that. I, I wrestled actually with, am I woman enough? And that did grow up with me because I mm-hmm. wasn't, you know, about the frilly and the, you know, the whatever. And I'm just kind of like, oh, goodness. So, I mean, I literally would ask mm-hmm. myself, am I woman enough? Wow. Am I going to be woman enough, you know, to be, um, you know, and I mean, and it was, it, it, it manifested itself, you know, wow. in, in my relationships, it, it really, really did. So thank you for speaking to that. Um, and thank you for speaking to everything that you have spoken to so powerful, yeah. just in our time and just mm-hmm. what you are doing day in and day out. I appreciate you taking up the cause of the black woman and the black girl, um, I, I appreciate it. I appreciate it as a black female and I appreciate it as the mom, you know, of two um, black girls that I have tried to, you know, raise with intentionality and also with thoughts of what womanhood looks like in a broader um, context. So I do, I so appreciate the work that you do and your graciousness and even accepting this invitation to oh, be a of course. Hey, thank you so much. You. Well, will you please let everybody know how they can get in touch with you and yeah. how it is that they can find um, your book and everything? Yeah. So my, my book, Parable of the Brown Girl, you can just Google that and, um, and there'll be some options that come up for you. Uh, but you can find it on Amazon, um, barnesandnoble.com. You can go to Barnes & Noble. Um, people have been so graciously going to Barnes & Noble, taking pictures if they, when they see it in there. So you can go to your local Barnes & Noble. Um, I, my website is christylaurenadams.com. My Twitter handle is at christylauren. And my Instagram is at christyadams. So, um, but, but all of that will come up on Google. Thank God. So, <laughs> so you don't have to do all that extra stuff. Um, yeah. Great. Thank you so much. Well, we have truly been blessed by your, your conversation, um, on today and your sharing with us, your knowledge and your, 
your wisdom and your experiences. And I just say to our listeners, um, Reverend Adams has blessed us on today. So please go support the work that she is doing. Go buy her book, read her book, um, listen to her voice whenever it is being amplified. She is doing a beautiful, beautiful work out here. So thank you again, Christy, for all that you're doing. And to our listeners, I say, as I always say, until next time, let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And after you've heard Reverend Adams' call, what will be your response? And the church says.